Hi there, and welcome to Vet Club. This is an edition of Journal Club, our student journal club. Um, I have two new guests on the program again, which I'm always, I just, I feel like that happens a lot. Uh, we do get some repeat guests, but I'm always excited when there's new people because, yay, more people um, coming on the show. So um, we have Emily Lichtenberger mm-hmm. and we have Ella Rock, who are both here. Um, you guys, did you guys get together um, before and decide you were going to um, do the journal club together, or did that just happen and then after? the fact you work together to find articles i think as soon as you sent out the email we were like we're gonna do this we are doing okay so you guys said you wanted to you wanted to do this together so that's pretty awesome so you guys also had your own ideas for what we were going to talk about today so you guys selected um the articles and and um the the there's a theme around these articles and it's about essentially um giving naloxone for opioid you know overdose or inappropriate ingestion of opioids in, um, in veterinary species. So I'm guessing that there's a reason behind all of that. So maybe we can start with just a little background from you guys on why, why this topic. Yeah, so um, I am a DVM MPH student and have done a lot of work with the Harm Reduction Coalition. Mm -hmm. Um, And harm reduction, which I know a lot of people don't necessarily know a lot about, Mm -hmm. um, is the idea of um, providing care for individuals who use drugs um, and using strategies to minimize the risk that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that I'm very passionate about um, and have developed more of an interest in ER. Um, And Emily was a ER technician. um, Assistant. Assistant. Not licensed. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Just give give credit where it's due, right? But so you you worked um, as an assistant in ER clinics. Yeah, after uh, after college for two years, I worked in um, a ER uh, 24-7 clinic and really loved emergency medicine. So... Um, kind so of you guys linked up through tumors. emergency medicine is kind yeah. of where you guys linked up. And then mm-hmm. the, um, so yours was coming at it through harm reduction in specifically related to drug use and inappropriate drug use. And then you were just like, I just, I've been working in this mm-hmm. and I love it cause it's awesome. And, um, and so that's how you guys linked up. So then you guys were like, we're going to do this podcast together. Um, and so then Ella, your, was it your background that kind of got us into the the naloxone Yeah, so um, as part of my MPH, I'm working on a project um, mm-hmm. developing training for intranasal naloxone um, to uh, th- for the people who use drugs whose pets may yeah. be exposed. Yeah. Um, so I was already looking at some of these articles and thought that there was some really cool information that yeah. I'd never heard of before um, that thought it would be cool to kind of talk about. Yeah, and so you roped Emily in and yeah. she was like, sold, yeah. that works for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> love that, Honestly, love that. Hang out. Um, okay, so that's where this came from. So you had come across Cross and um, so yeah, I mean, let's let's just start talking about them. That's the goal. So we have two articles um, that that we've all read today, um, and so and and you guys read all of them, but mm-hmm. I asked you guys each to kind of like pick one and be the primary on it. So um, the the first article that I'd like to start with is going to be the case report. Um, so so this is a case report from oh, a Vet Record is the journal, and it, the title is heroin intoxication in a dog and authors uh, McDermott and others. And so, um, Ella, why don't you start by just giving us a, a summary of this case report? Yeah, so I thought this was a cool case report because it was um, emphasizing kind of a spectrum of care um, Mm -hmm. presentation. Um, So it was an 11-month-old intact male boxer who presented unconscious following oral uh, consumption of heroin. Um, At home, the owners had given uh, intramuscular naloxone, um, but the the dog did not improve. Um, So they were able to get it to the hospital where intravenous naloxone was given. Yeah. Um, But then the owners were not able to hospitalize 
hospitalized the dog yeah. and they were able to send home against medical advice um, with naloxone at home. Yeah. Um, and that outpatient protocol was successful and the, yeah. the patient presented um, for a spay at uh, their, or sorry, neuter at their clinic um, a couple of months later. Um, so I thought that was kind of, it was a, it was yeah. cool to see that sometimes the, the gold standard isn't necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I thought there was a lot of really cool features in this case report because uh, I'll be honest, like, uh, you know, severe opioid overdose, heroin ingestion. It's not a super common presentation. Now it's going to vary depending on where in the, in the world and where in the, in the country, if you're in an urban area versus more, so, you know, it just depends, but this is not something I see all the time. Um, and so do you remember the details from this? Like, um, you know, was this a, they showed up and yes, this is what our dog has gotten into. Obviously the owners had already given naloxone. So they, they were suspicious of that. Um, do you remember like, do they come in very forthcoming? Like this is what's going on. Yeah. So they had yeah. witnessed the ingestion yeah. um, and the oral ingestion um, from a harm reduction side is, is quite often what is exposed. Yeah. Um, and the article talked a little bit more Ooh. about how there's in, been increasing reports through the ASPCA poison control line of this mm -hmm. happening, mm -hmm. um, particularly as more um, other substances are laced with fentanyl. Yeah. Um, so they had already observed the ingestion, which definitely sped up the process. Yeah. Um, and, and the key there is, the sooner, like you said, speeding up the process, the sooner we know. Now, again, these people, they, they gave naloxone before the dog had even showed up. They, they were very forthcoming, which is so helpful. Like a lot of people are afraid because it is, it's kind of scary. Like this is, you know, not necessarily depending on the circumstances, right? Um, you know, if these are illicit, illegal drugs and people are afraid to admit that's what's going on. And, um, and so as, you know, veterinarians, or if you're listening, future veterinarians, depending, make sure, you know, the priority is getting the information so that we can help the animal, so we can help the patient. And so, because you're not always going to be that lucky. Um, so let's say, um, you know, an animal shows up and they're not saying, oh, and by the way, my dog ingested this. Um, from this case report, what, um, you know, what did you come across from the dog's initial presenting signs that could or should make you wonder about an opioid overdose? Um, so they had a really nice part of the paper that was mm -hmm. talking about the learning points and take home messages yeah, that I really I liked. I liked how it was organized. Um, and it explicitly talked about um, high suspicion for opioid intoxication with meiosis, respiratory depression, and mental depression yeah. um, as kind of your big three takeaways. And that because there is um, such a large safety margin with naloxone, mm -hmm. that if you have suspicion, giving it is better than not giving it yeah. for the most part. Yeah. If you're not sure, if they're not, you know, you're like, I'm worried that this animal has gotten into this or has been exposed to, to you know, something in the opioid group that trying a dose of naloxone is pretty low risk um, because those are those are obviously signs that can be caused by lots of things, right? So, um, and it, it's not like, oh, that's classic for, you know, opioid overdose. And, um, and, and so, yeah, they, now, yes, that's fairly typical and you are going to expect, you know, an animal that presents in a coma, you are going to start thinking about intoxication. Um, but, it, they're not always going to say, and here's what he ingested and here's how much. Um, so having that clinical suspicion is, is really helpful. Now, just because this will be important for the next paper we talk about. So can you tell me more about, they, I know that the animal wasn't able to be uh, hospitalized, but what, um, what was the protocol they used um, and what were the results of that for this from this case report? So they used an intravenous dose of naloxone starting mm -hmm. off mm -hmm. um, at a 0.02 mg per kg dose. Mm -hmm. um, and then the dog was uh, regained consciousness within 60 to 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. They sent home um, a bottle of naloxone for intranasal administration if yeah. needed, um, which I thought was interesting because 
with the other paper, we'll talk yeah. about atomized versus yep. um, the, yep. the injectable. Um, but the idea that that was something that they felt more comfortable with, yeah. um, I, I thought yeah. was really cool, particularly since the intramuscular administration before. Didn't did seem work. like it worked. <laughs> now, when we say it didn't work, does, what does that mean? Uh, it couldn't have, it might not have been administered correctly. Yep. Um, it might not have been of appropriate date of appropriate handling. Yep. Um, there's just so many things. And also the administration, um, my understanding is that it would be a slower absorption. Yeah. I am not going to be as fast as, as IV or, um, potentially either IN, or it could have just been subject. We don't know how much it might've actually helped. Yeah. Like as far as we know, it, it could be that the naloxone they gave helped and maybe the dog would have died if they had, I don't know. We have no idea. Um, but it didn't show obvious clinical improvement after getting that. So, whereas the IV was like, boom. So, um, you know, whether or not we hit a, a therapeutic threshold or who knows what, um, but we know we didn't see the clinical improvement, you know, we would have wanted after the IM injection. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so they were like, look, here's the situation you know, what do we have? Uh, other what was the other question I was going to ask? Oh, um, do you, I'm trying to remember because actually I don't remember now. I know they called the owners, I think a couple days later and the dog was doing well. Did they report whether or not the owners gave any of the intranasal naloxone at home? Uh, no, the report said that they suffered no additional okay. episodes of opioid okay. toxicity. I couldn't remember if they just didn't say or they didn't ask. So they went home with intranasal naloxone, but in this case, they ended up not needing it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, this this was a nice, the, the case report was fairly straightforward, right? Dog came in, known ingestion. Um, here's what we did. It did well. There was some cool features of it though, like the fact that everything wasn't the gold standard. Like they weren't able to do all the things they wanted for a variety of reasons. Um, we tried different things because we didn't know what else to do. And at the end of the day, this seemed to work out. And then the rest of the case report is like, here's a review of what we know. Here's what we don't know. Here's some advice on, you know, things that we can infer from what we do and don't know. Um, so those kinds of case reports are really helpful when something hasn't been reported. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I think, you know, kudos to these, these authors, um, you know, the folks who took care of the, the pet itself, and then also taking the time to write it up, to share this information with others. Um, so that if you're out there looking around for something, you go, okay, okay, I can find something that may work. So, um, what other uh, take homes did you have from, from this article? What are some big things that you would want to emphasize, Ella? Um, I think just having a um, application of the pharmacokinetics research that's come out in recent years, mm -hmm. just because so much of this is 2019, 2020 forward. Yeah. Um, we don't really have a lot of case reports to base things off of. Yeah. So I think getting it out there was really important. Yeah. Cause there's experimental stuff and they're like, and then real life, what actually happens? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, nice. So that was one of my, my favorite things about the paper and also that it was applying some of the information from the ASPCA toxicity um, mm -hmm. hotline that we really don't always get to see. Yeah. And there's been some papers coming out, but I thought it was nice to incorporate that into a case study so nice. that it's a little bit more um, tangible than just a big, like a uh, big study. Of yeah. Numbers. Here's a bunch of numbers. Yeah. You're like, yeah, and then here's the effect on real, real patients. Nice. Emily, other, any other thoughts or questions, thoughts you had on the case report? Yeah. Um, I liked that in the article, they went beyond just discussing the case itself. They yeah. kind of discussed uh, opioid use and um, uh, sort of approaching clients and the sort of like yeah. reluctance, uh, reluctance to like seek care or yeah. like, uh, kind of how you were saying how people don't want to yeah. be what are the barriers about yeah. what was happening just because there's like the stigma of like mm -hmm. are you going to still treat my animal are you going to yeah. judge me you're going to call the cops you yeah like cops? Yeah. am I going to get in trouble and yeah. so kind of talking about um kind of trying to like decrease those fears and yeah. then also like working with your clients to create solutions for their animals that mm -hmm. work for them because it's great if you can offer uh, offer gold standard but 
that's often not the case. And yeah, off, you should always offer gold standard, yeah. but yeah, they might not be always be able to do it for yeah. all sorts of different reasons. And um, yeah, so case reports, uh, again, you know, on the on the spectrum of evidence, right? Case reports are kind of low on that spectrum. Like how much can we, can we gain from this scientifically? But when you put it in context, right, that that's where the value of this comes in where you say, yeah, maybe this isn't 600 animals where we can say, if you do this, this is what's going to happen, but there's still um, some good context there. And that can be really valuable. And I, I often think about this just from a learning standpoint, most people tend to learn better when something is put into, you know, like, here's a list of things I want you to memorize about heroin ingestion. Like, okay, cool. But you're like, here's a case. Okay. Now's a good opportunity to learn. And that's kind of what this case report is. Um, it's kind of a surrogate for, okay, I haven't seen the case myself, but here is a case presentation and I can, I can imagine the scenario. And then here's all the context that goes around that. Because I just think that is a, and for a lot of people, a really good way to learn. And, and you're more likely to remember things when it's associated with a case mm-hmm. rather than like, here's a list of facts. So yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's really where I think case reports can shine is, yeah, you can't be like, okay, this will work for every dog that comes in like, no, okay. But it's a starting point. It gets us thinking about things, which is super helpful. So awesome. Um, well, let's move on then. And, and we'll probably come back and, and yeah. refer back to that article. But um, Emily, um, wha- we're going we're gonna to move to your, your article. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call it yours. It's your very own article. Um, so the second article we're going to discuss today is pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of intranasal and intravenous naloxone hydrochloro, forevermore called naloxone, <laughs> administration in healthy dogs. And this is by Waller et al. And this one was from AJVR in 2019. And, um, and these, these links will go on the website, but, um, so Emily, you had, you had this one, um, that you want to spend a little bit of time describing, you know, just Um, a brief overview of this one. We'll get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. So this was a blinded crossover design experimental Mm -hmm. study Uh uh, that had two separate periods. So they took, uh, six, um, healthy, uh, purpose-bred, uh, mm-hmm. animals, three females, three males. And they, um, did a study where it was randomly assigned whether or not, uh, the animal would receive, uh, IV naloxone or IM naloxone. Um, IN, and, right? IN, sorry. Yeah. IN. I know it's, it's IM <laughs> flows, yeah. falls off the tongue uh, a lot does. easier. So um, intranasal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> IM naloxone. Um, and this was not with, uh, receiving an opioid or anything right. else. It yeah. was just, just, just pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics. Um, and yeah. so uh, they were randomly assigned one of these um, uh, uh, routes and then they were given for the IN, it was a four meg uh, dose across mm-hmm. the door. Um, yeah. uh, f- <laughs> across the board, yeah. Across the board. We knew what you meant. Um, and then uh, for IV, it was a 0.04 mg per cake dose. Yeah. So they gave um, a more precise dose. And why four milligrams, do you know? Uh, the four milligrams, that's what's generally in the, uh, cause that's, that's, how, that's it how it comes. Exactly. So that's yeah. What so just get. to clarify yeah. for people, if they're like, wait, why that yes. when we gave it? Yeah. Because <laughs> it comes in an atomizer for that amount. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, let's, we're probably not going to get anybody to make us our own. So <laughs> this is what people will have available to them. So let's see how that works. Okay, cool. Yeah. So they, they were administered the drug and then they would take, um, a, a blood sample, um, over small periods of time. So it's like every one minute, two minutes, um, yeah. or hours initially. And yeah. Initially, and then it spread, and then, spreads yeah, out over, spreads time, out yeah. over time. So they could, um, uh, look at the serum concentration yep. of naloxone um, in order uh, for them to do their analysis. And then they also looked at 
um, just clinical signs. So mm -hmm. uh, they had someone who was looking at changes in behavior, respiration, mm -hmm. um, heart yeah. rate, um, just to see if there are any yeah. changes there for, for side effects of um, just the drug um, itself. Awesome. Okay. Um, now you said it was a crossover design. What does that mean? Uh, so um, they had, I guess, uh, in this um for the, there was a second phase in yeah. which they uh, switched it. So if you yeah. were the dog at first that got the IV naloxone, uh, the second time you'd go back and you'd yeah. get it. IN. Exactly. Um, just so it's kind of like yeah. each dog serves as its own control, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, they did a week washout period. Does that seem like enough time? Yeah, this is. Yeah. Yeah. Especially long. when you get to the results of this, right? The yeah. half-life of this drug, like it, we should be pretty good. <laughs> um, so yeah. So basically, yeah, the dog's got to, they were all, all dogs got both treatments. It's mm -hmm. just, did you get intranasal first and then, uh, or IV first and, uh, and then they flip flop. So yeah. Um, perfect. So that's, that's a typical crossover design. It means that basically all of the animals are going to get all of the treatments, but the order will be randomized, um, just in case there's some effect there that we weren't anticipating in this situation. We don't really anticipate, um, any effects of having one first for the other, but, uh, if there was, um, some unknown confounder, hopefully that would have, um, we would have been able to tease that out. So, um, cool. And, so do you, just because I think these kinds of studies are cool, I've done studies like this before, that getting a blood sample every minute or two for even a little while sounds really hard. Yeah. That's so how do they do that? Uh, so they had two catheters yeah. in place. So one was for administering um, the IV. Yeah. So they just got a regular getting, short peripheral catheter. Was, uh, in the cephalic. Yeah. Um, I think it was like the right. And then they would do the saphenous uh, was uh, With a sampling catheter. For the sampling. Yeah. Uh -huh. So that's the long indwelling catheter. That's a one person can go in there and get a blood sample. Um, if you've ever worked with research dogs yeah. before, yeah, one person would not be able to get a blood draw. Two people even sometimes is hard. But that way they don't have to sedate them. They don't have to, to, to do anything else that might interfere um, with your sampling. So initially they get instrumented first and then once they're, everything is set, then they go and administer the drugs. So that, that's just a nice little tidbit if you've never um, you know, done a study like that. Super helpful. Um, but the nice thing is they, they were otherwise awake and alert and, and mm -hmm. nothing else. So the only treatment they got was naloxone. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then what do we do? Uh, and so then they, uh, sent off, um, to the lab and they did a lot of work to look at, um, the actual measurement of the plasma naloxone mm -hmm. concentration, um, throughout all the samples. So they mm -hmm. used liquid chromatography with tan with mass spec um mm -hmm. and did all this fancy schmancy lab yeah lab that's the summary there yeah. so they sent it to a lab who knows what they're doing yeah and they they were able to measure the naloxone in the plasma mm -hmm. of the dogs yeah and i'm generally when i read this i'm like i'm gonna trust that those people know what they're doing yeah. because i'm not qualified to look and be like wait what so and and that's okay i think um i think it's okay to say we trust that this is a a, a qualified place to do those kinds of things um uh, yeah if they were saying we're going to the publication is proving the methodology then that might be different and i wouldn't be qualified to review that um but that wasn't really the point of the study so so then they get the results back yes. All right. Um, and and then, then they uh, were able to then look at those results back and do a plasma concentration versus time mm -hmm. um, for each uh, dog. And they were able to weight them and then kind of create a uh, one one plasma concentration versus time that yeah. looked at all yeah. the animals together. Um, and so uh, it's kind of a pretty table that they put in where it's the time in minutes um, is the bottom and then the uh, plasma in uh my, uh, sorry, I can't read from here. Oh, I think it's nanograms, nanograms per mil. Nanograms per mil. I think it's yeah, na yeah nanograms right. per mil. Um, 
And then uh, they were able to compare um, the uh, looking at the IN versus the IV. Um, yeah. And then uh, through that, they were able to look at things like uh, the concentration maximum. So the maximum concentration they yep. found. And then also uh, looking at the Tmax of the time that yep. the maximum concentration was. And then uh, can also determine the half-life yep. um, that the dogs uh, had. Yeah. Okay. So... That, there's a lot of numbers in that. Um, so what's, what would your take-home be from that? What, what were the big points that you took home from this pharmacokinetic pharmacodynamic study? Um, I think the things that I saw were that the um, even though you were giving a much larger amount of ion naloxone, they yeah. were able to have comparable uh, plasma concentrations and yeah. similar half-lives. They weren't um, like the exact same number, but... Um, the C-max. The half-life was pretty similar, yeah. Yeah, the half-life was similar. The C-max, the IV was about double, um, but they're... Yeah, uh, so that's that's an important, I think, point to make, right? Mm -hmm. So, because again, all of these dogs were roughly, they were fairly similar in size mm -hmm. because the mig per kig dose of the intranasal naloxone they got, I think, ranged from 0.14 to 0.19. Mm -hmm. So, fortunately for the study, not a huge range. Um, so, they all got fairly similar doses. So, you know, but yeah, between... Uh, 0.15 and 0.2, uh, roughly somewhere in that range, you know, this was where the dogs were getting versus the IV where they gave it based on their weight. So those were very, it was a little bit more precise. Um, if that had been like, you know, some 10 kilogram dogs and some 40 kilogram dogs that may have been a problem. So it's probably why they got purpose bred dogs. So mm -hmm. they're all about the same size for something like this. But, um, the difference of a 0.15 mg per kg dose and a 0.04 mg per kg dose, the higher intranasal dose yielded lower maximum concentrations, mm -hmm. right? And does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, right? We're giving it via a different route. Um, so it's it's not surprising that you have to give a higher dose to, if you're giving it intranasally. Um, so, okay, what else do you care about then? I mean, Ella, feel free to chime in too. Um, I think the the time at which you get that concentration okay. because yeah. you're dealing with an emergency situation yeah. and you want to stop that overdose as soon as possible. Okay, so, so. what was the time difference between IV and IN? Um, the time was, I think it was uh, eight, um, what was it? It was... So there's um, a couple different numbers yeah. that, that you'll get. So there's the time to where you start to detect any of the um, of the naloxone in the blood. So for there's that T lag um, uh, so that's where you'll kind of see, if you look at on the table one, the third, fourth mm -hmm. thing down says T subscript lag. So that's the lag time. Mm -hmm. There's no lag for IV because boom, yeah. you, you've given so, all of it right then. Um, so they don't, there's no calculating mm -hmm. it there. So there was a lag time of about two and a half minutes. Now, remember they were pulling blood at one minute, two minute, and then I think the next one was five minutes. So there were some, most dogs, it sounds like they had detectable drug at the two minute mark. And yeah. there were a couple that it, maybe it wasn't until the five minute mark. So they mathematically made that out to 2.3 minutes. There was nobody who took 2.3 minutes because we we didn't measure it at 2.3 minutes, but roughly it's going to be between two and five minutes, probably closer to two minutes before they can detect any naloxone. But when did it hit its peak? The 22. Yeah. Minutes. So in that range, obviously mm -hmm. there was like a, you know, it was, I think as low as like 12 minutes mm -hmm. or as fast as 12 or somewhere in there, you know, so around, but around 15 to 25 minutes is before it hits its peak. So how do you, what do you think about that? What, how long is it going to take for the IV dose to hit its peak? Immediately. Zero minutes. Yeah, it's immediate. It's when you give it. So is how relevant is that? Um, very in like an emergency. Yeah. Situation. Ideally, it's you relevant. would give IV. Um, yeah. 
But does um, that mean we shouldn't ever give intranasal naloxone? No, because ability access, like at home. Yeah, because if it takes you 30 minutes to drive (laughs) to the clinic (laughs) and then another three minutes to assess it and then another four minutes to get the catheter in, like, yeah. So, you know, you have to put it in perspective. Yes, IV is obviously significantly faster, but 15 to 25 minutes is not bad. It's not bad when you're talking about life-threatening, if you're out in the field, right? So if you are you have a working dog who is a drug-sniffing dog, and next thing you know, boom, he's inadvertently been overdosed with, um, you know, uh, an opioid-based drug. Yeah, the time it's going to take you to get, um, you know, emergency care, or if you're not like a pro at getting an IV catheter in, um, it could take you a while. And so 15 to 20 minutes sounds pretty darn good when you factor in all of the other things that take time. So yes, it takes longer. Now, if I'm in a hospital setting... And and I have or can quickly get IV access, yeah, I want the IV. It's going to work faster, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the fun part about that case report, they were like, it was like off the needle. Like as we're giving it, we're seeing this animal respond. So it's going to work really fast IV. You're going to reach higher plasma concentrations if you're using those comparable doses. But that's not nothing for the intranasal. Like mm-hmm. that's pretty good. Um, that's pretty rapid absorption, right? Minutes. Um, and um so, you know, again, you just have to put all that in perspective. Now, what are some of the other differences um, that were found between IV and intranasal? So we've mentioned the max dose, despite, you know, the amount that you have to give, and then the lag time before you hit peak. Mm-hmm. Um, the half-lives, tell me, tell me more about the half-lives. Um, so the half-lives were um, a little more similar um, in comparison. Yeah. So it was about 47 for the IN and uh, 37 for the IV, yeah. which... Um, it's kind of important when you're thinking is one of these, like you're going to see the rebound effects because the opioids yes. last a lot longer. Than so glad zone. that you brought so that up. That's super important. It's knowing like when these are potentially going to wear off and that you might be seeing yeah. signs again. Yeah. So you could have to redose. Yeah. So ex- that's a really important point. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's the risk with naloxone. Naloxone has a short half-life. It's even shorter in dogs than it is in people. And so that re-narcotizing is actually pretty common. You give naloxone, you're like, oh, everything's great. Um, and then the, the naloxone half-life wears off before whatever, depending on obviously what opioid you're talking about. That's going to vary um, as, as you know, we know that depending on the formulation, it may have a, a shorter or longer half-life. But I've, I've definitely seen that happen in animals that had overdose. You give naloxone and everything's great. And then a little bit later, they need more. Um, They need another dose because the half-lives are different. Um, So it's a little bit longer with the intranasal, uh, probably not clinically significantly longer. And again, that's the half-life, but it also didn't reach the same peak. So when it gets to that, like it's no longer in the therapeutic range, it's probably going to be similar between the two. So, you know, with, with within half an hour. Um, So you gotta, you gotta keep that in mind. Now it reached the peak later, right? Mm -hmm. So um, from the time you administer it to the time that it's gone, you know, is, is variable. But if you look at the graph on, on figure one, they follow fairly similar yeah. orders there, which, um, from the, as far as the degradation or the excretion of it. Um, so that's really good. Are there any other things that, um, you wanted to point out that you thought were yeah. really important? Um, I liked their comment that they were saying that, uh, the intranasal, there is a chance that some of that is going, um, into the CNS a little bit faster and mm-hmm. better just because of proximity and yeah. location um, next to... Meaning it's getting where it needs to go. Yeah. It's skipping over the bloodstream yeah. and we're we're not even measuring that. Um, that's a possibility. Yeah. And so yeah. we wouldn't be able to really see that unless they were doing 
looking at other tests. Or yeah, like do. sampling CSF yeah, yeah, or something CSF like that. Fluid. Yeah, they didn't um, instrument them. So I think that was interesting. And then also talking about how all these dogs were purpose bred. So mm-hmm. you can only, you're only looking at one um, small population. So you sure. don't know if there might be a little variation of mm-hmm. like a brachycephalic breed versus a dolecephalic breed. Maybe. Um, so they're just saying that there could be some, yeah. some slight variation. Yeah. Um, and then also acknowledging that all these dogs were of a similar weight class and yeah. that um, you're giving with intranasal it's one dose that is the yeah. dog is getting so there might be cases potentially where if you have a much larger dog yeah um, it might be warranted to give uh, a second yeah so if you dose. do exactly yeah. if you do the math and you're like uh, my you know 40 kilogram dog is only getting like a 0.04 and that's what IV is that that may not be enough so I might just preemptively say I'm going to do this twice or those are the kinds of things you know if you have people who are working with dogs who have the potential to get exposed is thinking about that um you know is thinking like am I just going to go ahead and whoop, one in each nostril right <laughs> off the bat because of the size of the animal that's not unreasonable um to consider um, but also watch those patients a little more closely yeah. um, because maybe you won't get the effects that you want. Uh, but it, I, I think in general, for me at least, from an emergency situation, like the intranasal should always be the stopgap to get you to, mm-hmm. you know, proper veterinary care, right? It's not like, oh, we're fine now, walk, walk away. Like, no, this is meant to buy you time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, based on these results, I'd say it's reasonable to expect that it will yeah. buy you some time. And then also- which is awesome. The fact that, um, so when they were looking at just the observational data, looking if there are changes in behavior yeah, or good. CNS, uh, heart rate or respiratory rate, they didn't find any differences. Yeah, it was pretty boring um, there. Which also could be helpful in potentially convincing somebody that the yeah. risks are yeah. relatively low for giving naloxone. So yeah. going ahead and kind of taking away that fear that you might be hurting yeah. your animal or yeah. be, oh, what if it was an overdose? Um, right. This is like, pretty this safe. This is pretty safe. Yeah. I never tell anybody it can't hurt, right? Like no. that's, <laughs> that's not, that doesn't exist. Um, but it's very low risk. And the risk of if this is an opioid overdose and we don't treat it is probably greater mm-hmm. than the risk of it's not an opioid overdose and we gave naloxone when we didn't really need it. Um, so, yeah. I agree. Um, any other any other thoughts or take homes that you had from this? Um, not really. I thought it was a really good study. It was interesting that um, the authors had said that there wasn't really a study like this before, yeah. which is kind of surprising that this is um, just a drug that's commonly used now and is out there. So it, I think it was yeah. a really good sort of baseline to have to kind of push more data um, or more studies off yeah. of. And I thought even though it's a smaller study, it was done really well, yeah. um, really cleaned. Uh, yep. It was the person who was uh, looking at all the data um, was all blinded. So they didn't yeah. see it first. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a very yeah. well done. Like you said, nice, simple, clean is my favorite kind of research where you're like, we have a very clear goal. These are the outcomes. Small is fine. Like this is yeah. fine. That's plenty of animals to get that initial information, right? Now, if you said, I want to know what happens if they have renal failure, I want to know what happened. Then, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, we're not answering all the questions in this one six dog study, but we answered a lot of stuff. Okay. Here's my question for you guys. Yeah. In the case report, they mm-hmm. sent the clients home with naloxone to give intranasally. Mm-hmm. Based on this study, what are your thoughts on that? The, so <laughs> that was that was the, great. You both just like <gasps> we're gonna breathe in the, and then look at each other. Okay. The naloxone that they the one they had used in the study was an atomizer, yeah. and so they don't know if we the non-atomized would be the same. But yeah, I'm it's a different formulation. The clinic did not have an atomizer right. available. Like that's not something you would have potentially commonly yeah. at a veterinary clinic, and so they gave the next best option. Yeah. 
super supportive of what they did, right? Um, I don't think what they did was wrong. However, we can't necessarily extrapolate the Mm -hmm. results from this PKPD study to say that that you can just give any old version of naloxone intranasally and it will work because the, like, what does that mean to say we've atomized it? It sounds very fancy. What does that mean? So the atomizers are delivering it in a different formulation that's going to be able, like my understanding is that the molecules are smaller and more bioavailable yeah. so rather than um, the uh, injectable formulation, which is designed um, to be able to withstand injection. To go and, IV, yeah. um, it's, it, it's meant for a different purpose. Yeah. Um, so I think that part of what I got from the study as well is that there is value in knowing how to administer yep. atomized drugs and yep. to have them in a veterinary clinic. Yeah. Um, and that this is most likely what clients will have more available to them. Yeah. Um, so that was but spraying story. something in the nose is not the same as an, using an atomizer. No. Okay, so the way I like to describe the difference between an okay, so picture like a squirt bottle, like you're gonna you got a bottle of Windex and you're gonna clean your windows. That's a spray bottle. That is like just taking some regular naloxone and squirting it up your nose. Okay, then an atomizer. So if you've ever um, squeezed perfume out of a perfume bottle and it comes out in those tiny tiny little droplets, that's an atomizer. Okay, and so there's a difference getting that like big globs of fluid um, versus the tiny tiny droplets mm-hmm. and the atomizer is what you're wanting. And so if you have those special little nozzles on the end of a syringe that will atomize it, that is going to give you a little different distribution. And so, um, you know, there's studies out there for other, in other species for, with other drugs that atomizing it can make a difference, getting it into those tiny, tiny droplets. So um, my suspicion is if you were to do this study and you took regular naloxone and you just squirted in a syringe and shoved it up the nose, that some of, a good bit of it would get absorbed, but it would be less. Um, than what you get with the atomized version Um, because a lot of it's probably going to drip right. Anybody who's ever having to give themselves like nasal drops or nose spray or things like that, like a lot (laughs) of it just comes right back out or goes to the back of your throat or something like that. Now they did say in this study, they looked for that and the dogs didn't really see much, Mm -hmm. Um, but dogs tend to just swallow stuff without telling us. So, Um, but so I think that it's an important point. Again, super reasonable to send home what you have available, um, but we can't necessarily extrapolate these intranasal um, results to any drug you know, any naloxone that you would squirt up the nose. It's not quite the same thing. So um, just making sure we make the distinction that atomization of the drug does impact things. Um, so, but you can, like, as you were saying, Ella, like if you have a dog who has access or, or is exposed to drugs, having the atomized version is probably what you're going to have available to you. Um, and, and thinking about that is, is super reasonable. If you're in a hospital setting, you may not, and, um, but then you can give it injectably. Um, now, what about you can't get IV access? Okay, you're in a hospital setting and you, for whatever reason, just nobody, your best tech can't get a catheter in. How are you going to deliver? You don't have atomized. You don't have the atomizer. How are you going to give the naloxone? I am. So that's an option. So you could try giving it IM. I feel like it's kind of a toss up based on yeah. what's yeah. going on with your yeah. case. Yeah. Um, because if it's also a heavy contamination in the nasal cavity, yeah. you're going to want to be decontaminating that. Yeah. In which good case, point. you're not really going to want to squirt the drug that you want to go then be decontaminated. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it would be kind of dependent on what you have and what you got. And uh, you yeah. just got to make yeah. do with it. So it wouldn't be unreasonable to say, I'm going to give IM in this point while we keep trying to get IV access or different things. You, you know, like you said, depending on what the ingestion was and how it was, was it um, inhaled because it was a drug sniffing dog or was it ingested? Um, so you may consider, and I would still consider giving the non-atomized naloxone mm-hmm. intranasally if I couldn't get IV access or while I was trying to get IV access. There's other, um, do you guys know of any other drugs that um, have been studied in dogs to give intranasally in an emergency setting? You can 
<laughs> like for I, other things. I've heard yeah. like some conversations about giving fentanyl intranasally and oh. I don't know if there's a ton or of like, information on that yet. Know, but. Or epi, but. Um, um, yeah, sometimes. actually I'm, epi's not, I don't know that I've got the studies or in, in the back of my head if I've seen any, but um, midazolam. So like in a seizuring oh, animal yeah, yeah, yeah. is the other one. Um, and again, same kind of thing. It's better if you have the atomizer. Um, but a lot of people send home the intranasal midazolam rather than like rectal. Um, it, now it just depends if the animal's part of their seizures is a lot of biting motion in the head. You might not want to do it that way. So, um, but yeah, that's the other one where, um, intranasal. So for whatever reason, intranasal is, is a good option. Um, and if you think about the anatomy and physiology of dogs and cats to some degree is they use their nose a lot, right? They, they, they interact with their world nose first a lot of the time. And so there are a ton of blood vessels in the nasal in the nasal cavity. And so the absorption, and I mean, that's true in people. We have a lot of blood vessels there as well, but um, the absorption is, is pretty good. Um, again, it wasn't, it's not the same as IV, um, but it's also pretty rapid, which is nice. So there are um, uh, a few other situations where intranasal administration of emergency drugs is, is, is considered and there's some um, good evidence. And in some cases, at least in midazolam, and I'm not aware of naloxone, but in midazolam, there are some studies that show intranasal actually worked better than intramuscular. Um, so it absorbed more quickly, like they got up to therapeutic. Well, did, I don't know if um, the study I'm thinking of now, I can't remember if they actually measured PK or PD. Like, I don't know if they measured drug concentrations in the blood, but if they just went the time that it took to stop the seizure activity, I think intranasal performed better than intramuscular, if I recall correctly. So, um, so yeah, the, the pharmacokinetics and dynamics are, are not always what you would necessarily immediately think. Um, Cause I think if, I would have assumed IM would have been better than intranasal and I would have been wrong about that in a lot of situations. Um, so yeah, and that's also why these things get developed, right? Because <laughs> they, they work. Somebody figured out, I wonder if this will work. Oh, look at that, it does. Um, so any other, any other limits um, uh, that you, know, you want to bring up or any other issues that you would say? We've talked about some of the things we can't extrapolate and we can't change or anything else that... Um, you would critique just again. I think both of these are very good articles, but it's always a good idea to think like, oh, if you could do it again, how would you do things differently? I think they acknowledge it pretty directly, but the um, need for additional studies to actually reverse opioid intoxication, mm -hmm. um, just because uh, Emily and I were talking about this earlier, the PKA or P PK and PT PD um, don't always reflect necessarily the res resolution of clinical signs immediately yeah. in the same way. Um, so being able to understand actually in mm. a um, both oral and um, like nasal absorption of an opioid yeah. could be a really um, important study. Yeah. Well, because what we're saying is, oh, it reached these this window, right? So if we gave intranasal um, naloxone to these dogs, it got up to between six and eight nanograms per milliliter on average in for the nasal. And then it was up to like in the twenties for the intravenous. Okay. Well, which, which one, how high do you need to reach in order to have yeah. the effect that you want? Okay. And now there was some extrapolating from what they look for in people. And they said in people, this tends to be pretty effective, but yeah, it's what if it's different in dogs, right? We know the half-life of naloxone is different. And we also know in a lot of the opioids, it's different. So maybe we need to, you know, we, so yes, a follow-up study to say, does this, this is great. This works. It does get absorbed. Good first step, but we're not done. Um, you know, and like I said, this case report was using intravenous. Okay. Would intranasal have worked as well in that dog? I don't know. We know it wouldn't have worked as fast, right? Just based on we, or we expect that it wouldn't have because um, the, the pharmacokinetics of, uh, of the drug. Um, but would it have been just as effective? Maybe. Um, so yeah. Now the question is, how do you want to do that study? 
I guess do you want, do you want to like, like, so that's one option like, is so you wait for these cases to come in accidentally or I think there um, have been some studies, particularly in working dogs out of university of, or uh, university of Pennsylvania mm -hmm. um, that have been um, experimentally inducing yeah. um, mm -hmm. opioid exposures. Yeah. Um, I believe most of them have been uh, uh, intravenous and then they've mm -hmm. given intranasal naloxone to see if it affects um, the uh, nasal capacity of the dogs long-term. Yeah. Um, so there's been some work on that, yeah. um, but there just hasn't been necessarily the amount of research that we yeah. need to and understand. And they were doing it. like regular doses of opioids versus like an overdose. Like a massive overdose. Yeah. yeah. Which is a good place to start, yeah. right? Because I think your yeah. initial hesitation was like, was like uh. no, we don't want to do this. And it, it and that's a normal, it's a good, yeah. we want to hesitate and we want to say, okay, do we need to go to that degree to prove our point, right? So if I can give even a mild over just like upper end of the dosing range um, to the point that I'm getting like really sedated dogs, which we do that sometimes clinically, right? Like you have an animal that's really painful and you're like, well, he's really sedate. Okay, that's okay. At least he's comfortable. So, I mean, there, you can do that, uh, you know, safety is on a scale, right? It's yeah. not like here, okay, now everything's safe, 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 safe. Boop, now it's not safe. No, it's it's a sliding scale. Um, so you could start with, you know, studies that say, okay, we're going to give either therapeutic doses of these drugs or maybe just a mild overdose. And then if you need to escalate, maybe then you do. But um, but I think you could, do, you could do the study that they did here. You could duplicate this almost exactly, except you first give them, you know, a mig per kg of hydromorphone or something like that first. And then you, you get that, you give that 15 minutes, you record their vitals and different things, see what they do, assess their mentation, give, you know, do a crossover study. Half of them are going to get intranasal at the first time. And, you know, so you, you could imagine doing something like that. It makes us feel a little less like warm and fuzzy about it. Um, but of all the, you know, that's, it's not the worst thing that we could do. So yeah. Is there a correlation to clinical stuff? Any other comments or critiques or limitations um, in the study? Anything that they didn't describe that you thought was a limitation? Or you took them at face value. <laughs> took them a little. They, bit will, at face they value. would tell me if there yeah. was something they did wrong, right? It's not even that they're trying. It's yeah. just sometimes you think of other things that um, that they wouldn't that somebody else didn't necessarily. Um, like I said, there. You know, it's always nice. These are these are averages on six dogs, and so you know you have to take some of the the specific numbers. And we've talked about this a little bit, right? Like the lag time of two point three minutes. Well, that's. That, that's not a real time because the uh, the time that blood was drawn was at two minutes and five minutes mm -hmm. and so you know maybe it's 3.4 minutes I, who knows um but uh or even even lower than 2.3 minutes it's hard to say when you get more dogs different things um but yeah i would say overall this was this was a, a pretty well designed study um again most of the limitations come down to uh, things that I, I don't know that they can totally control, right? We have six dogs of similar um, breed and size. We've already kind of um, chatted about some of those things. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I'd say pretty darn good. A case report is, again, that's what happened. <laughs> we are going to describe what happened. I think they did a good job of describing what happened. I think they were very clear. And then um, I think, you know, sometimes I think in case reports, it's 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 easy to kind of like, overdo it and all the things you're trying to extrapolate and they they really they weren't like this is the protocol you will use they were like look we did this it worked pretty well in this particular case you know don't give up on these patients get you know give it a shot and here's something you can consider um and again the, a lot of the rest of it was um context and you know just providing some additional information but um so what are you guys going to do so you 
Ella, you've got like projects that you're working on. So how does this information, how do these two studies factor into your research projects? Uh, so I think the biggest takeaway from all of it is that we have pharmacokinetics to back up the administration of this mm -hmm. and that we're not just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, mm -hmm. um, that there is research to demonstrate. Um, and I think that the atomizer um, from a harm reduction standpoint is critically important that it's not just intranasal administration of an injectable yeah. because that's what people have access to. Yep. Um, and that makes it a lot easier to be able to give people who don't have a lot of options an option. Yeah. Um, and it also starts a conversation with veterinarians mm -hmm. that they might not be having otherwise yeah. about access to naloxone, about what's going on in their communities. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a really critically important piece of it. Yeah. Um, because if you don't know to be asking some of these questions or to, to know that this is going on, yeah. um, it limits your, your, um, clinical abilities. Um, if you don't have, um, if you don't have at least a, um, a background on some of this. And let me, I just want to make sure we clarify this for listeners. So when you say that's what these people are going to have access to, some people oh, are I'm sitting sorry. out here thinking like, why would they have access to it? Tell me, tell me why they're likely going to have access to yeah. the intranasal um, So, so essentially there's, there's two major populations that are potentially going to have exposure to um, opioids. Mm -hmm. You have your working dogs mm -hmm. where um, while a lot of, um, uh, local law enforcement agencies don't have um, access to naloxone at this time. It's something that's becoming more and more available. Mm -hmm. um, so if you are a, a drug sniffing dog, your yeah. officer can carry intranasal naloxone very easily on yeah. them. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you're just a general law enforcement officer in an opioid endemic area, yes. you have a much higher likelihood of having an, yeah. an atomizer on you. And that's the point, yeah, is that this is the thing that they use for people, right? It's mm -hmm. the same thing. This is not a specially formula. This is not specially formulated for working dogs or for dogs in general. This is, that's why it's four milligrams because all people weigh 70 kilograms. Um, <laughs> didn't you guys know that? Um, so this is one adult human dose, right? And so that's why they're likely to have access to it. So if they are in a situation where they might need uh, to give naloxone to a person who has um, overdosed for whatever reason, um, they might have that available. And so we're talking about using the exact same thing. That's what they studied in this in this um, research was the the formulation. So th I just wanted to point that out. That's why people might have access to it if because it's the exact same thing um, that they're going to have. So they don't have a, you know a, a separate facility. Now, if you have a dog that is like you said a drug sniffing dog you, you want to try to have that available because you know that this is a greater risk. But if these are first responders, right? Like maybe they're, it's not their own dog, but they come into a situation, they're first responders and they find a dog that they suspect, Hey, you have, you might have this and you can use that. Now, again, there's a supply issue sometimes. This is why not everybody has access to it. Um, so depending on where naloxone is, they may have to make tough decisions, um, about, you know, administering this to a person versus a, versus a, uh, an animal. But, given, let's say you're not having to deal with that situation, you know, you can use this in, in a, a dog if you're a first responder out there. So yeah, I think that's a really, really important point. So thank you for, for sharing that. Um, anything else that, that, you know, how is, is this going to affect you? Uh, I think the other part that's been important for me is that people are asking for this. Uh, yeah. They're asking for the information. Um, we started this project because um, at a street clinic, we had people who use drugs asking about what they're supposed to do if their yeah. pet is exposed. Yeah. Um, and I think that being able to have answers as veterinarians to say, yeah. yes, this is safe to give to your pet yeah. um, is important. And also building trust that you care about what's going yeah. on with their animals yeah. um, and that just 
just because they're in a situation that isn't one that you necessarily um, potentially agree with or have have moral um, issues with. Um, I think that it's important to say we recognize that and yeah. we we will help give you. But tools. I'm still going to do my job and help you mm-hmm. help help your pets as best I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that That's was awesome. that was my biggest takeaway and that um, we really don't have as much information on a lot of this as I thought we would have. <laughs> oh boy, get used to that, Ella. Um, yeah, medicine in general. Like there's so much information out there and it's not enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's just, there's a, like obnoxiously like large amounts of data and information out there and you try to sift through it and you're like, oh my God, there's so many things and you know, thousands of studies, new studies coming out every day and there's so much we don't know. (laughs) So um, yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. So Emily, how about you? So not so much from the research standpoint, but maybe more from the clinical perspective, how do these, you know, how how does reading these articles impact you or what does that change for you? I think uh, it's important to sort of recognize that oftentimes when we're in school, when we're thinking about opioid overdoses, we're like, I've, I've made a mistake and yeah. I've, I've given like an overdose, but realizing when you're in the real world and you're potentially in a, maybe you're going to move to a practice that's in an uh, opioid uh, epi- uh, endemic area that maybe considering, do we have staff training? Do people know yeah. how to discuss this? Do our like uh, client service representatives know how to potentially guide someone how to give uh, intranasal yeah. over the phone or give directions of they need to come in? And um, also just some of the being used to communicating to people and not uh, making them feel judged and kind of yeah. feeling like you're creating a safe environment for them um, and that you're there and present to give veterinary care yeah. and just kind of being aware of those kind of different topics and rather of just thinking about the clinical medicine, but kind of thinking about how you fit in into an actual real world. Yeah. And the community, you're part of the community. You can't separate that out. Veterinary medicine isn't just treating animals. It's dealing with people and communities. One health, right? One health. Yeah. So yeah, I think think that's a a really good point. And it is nice to kind of, you know, again, provide some perspective. Although it is also important if you ever personally make a mistake and you have yeah, cause we're like, this, this applies to that too. Yeah. Um, so don't forget about mm-hmm. that. Um, so yeah, there is also that very, you know, like, you know, obvious and like, oh, if I, you know, give an overdose, there's a math error and my decimal point was over one. Like, yeah, I can use this, but yeah. How do, how do I as a veterinarian fit into the larger community? And I think that that is, um, is a really good thing to, to remember and to keep in mind. So, um, thank you both. Um, for for joining the show and for bringing these articles in this topic i think it was a really good one um naloxone it, i've i've never personally give intranasal naloxone um i definitely have given iv and it is it is very satisfying when you have an animal that got an overdose and you give it and it's just like <gasps> and it, it like when they describe in the case report like in six it's like yeah it's fast it's super fast um it's just really disappointing if they then go about half an hour <laughs> yeah. an hour later but that's okay you're ready for that now um so yeah thank you again for you know bringing the articles bringing the topic up and for coming on the show and having a discussion thanks for having us us. yeah all right well i think that is uh i think that's it for the show today um but hopefully you guys enjoyed this conversation again you can find the articles on the website and hope that you will join us next time thank you thank you bye